Esteban, we got Cody on the line. What do you want to ask him? What advice would you give to newbies in regard to you keeping emotions in check uh, when analyzing a deal? Yeah. So Esteban, I would tell you three things. Number one, education. Number two, repetition. And number three, analyzing larger deals for practice. The more that you continue to educate yourself, the better and more confident you're going to feel about your underwriting practices or analysis. And the next thing I would tell you is repetition. And this is key. So in learning a market in particular, learning how deals are operated, the more that you do, the more that you learn. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 153 and part of our Ask the Expert series. Today, we'll hear from experienced investor Cody Laughlin and aspiring investor Esteban Cardenas. Keep listening to hear a discussion about key indicators at your analysis and which team members are most important when figuring out if it's a good deal or not. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Forks Capital. I'm very excited for today's show. We got two amazing people on the line with us right now. We got Cody Laughlin and Esteban Cardenas. Cody's a real estate entrepreneur, a podcaster, meetup host. He's got 10 years of real estate investing experience. And his focus is acquiring cash flow producing real estate assets with a special focus on value add multifamily. Uh, I'll drop the rest of his bio in the show notes for, for anybody else who wants to get the full bio. That's Cliff Notes version. But that said, Cody, welcome to the show. Brian, good morning to you, man. Really appreciate the honor to be here and uh, excited to be on your show, man. I've been a big fan. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Interestingly enough, tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of episode one. So you guys got the anniversary edition. We congrats, congrats man. Yeah, thank. No, congrats to you guys. You know, being on the anniversary edition. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I feel I feel honored now. Now I feel like a VIP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 exactly not not coincidence whatsoever. But uh, this was this was hundred percent planned a year ago. It's like anniversary edition is going to be Cody. And it's Devin, hundred percent. See uh, that—that's why we delayed getting up to this point, right? You remember we talked about swapping shows for a year now, so a year, yeah. And then we finally, <laughs> we finally did. So yeah, that—that that was a nice treat too. But it was probably just over a year ago. I think it was before the first episode was released that we talked about doing the show swap. But a year later, here it is. So happy to have you on the show and do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your history, and kind of walk us into you know how you got into apartment investing. Yeah. Thanks again, Brian. Really appreciate it. Again, big, big fan. Love what you're doing. I love the show format too. But uh, you know, my background, my introduction to real estate started in 2010. My wife and I relocated from Louisiana to Houston, Texas, about 2008. We bought our first home. And after about two years, we wanted to relocate to a different part of Houston. And for those who recall, you know, 2008, 2010, great financial crisis, housing market was in the dumps. And in, in the process of relocating in Houston, we bought another home, closed on that home. Um, our first house did not sell yet, but it was under contract. And then we had a buyer that backed out the day before closing. And me and my wife panicked because 
we didn't know what the world to do. Number one, we couldn't put it back in the market. Things were moving too slow. Number two, we couldn't afford to pay two mortgages. And we were just like, what do we do? So we just hurried up and threw a tenant in there and said, you know what, we'll figure it out from there. So although it was very stressful at the time, in hindsight, it was a blessing because that's what really got me uh, involved in real estate. And again, around that time was also studying really how to protect your wealth, how to build your wealth, how to invest in equities markets and retirement accounts. And somebody saw me and said, hey, have you read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And, uh, you know, I, I joke, I call it the purple Bible. And so I, I read it and, you yeah. know, everything uh, changed for me. Light bulbs went off and, uh, you know, just completely changed the trajectory of my my entire life, really, because I was going to continue to go back to school, you know, get a master's degree, go up a corporate ladder in my uh, industry. And when I read that, I was just like uh, everything I had been taught had been incorrect, you know, so. Fast forward through a few years, I was I had this new entrepreneurial spirit and I was excited to get out there and just try all these different things. And unfortunately, I took some detours from real estate and I tried some non-real estate related ventures that I learned a lot of expensive lessons from. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, it um, again, all, all great seminars, as Rod Cleef would like to call them. And got recommitted back to real estate uh, several years back. I started out in single family again. And um, really just because of a limited mindset, I didn't have any net worth, liquidity, any experience. And I was like, man, I really need to, uh, I need to build my own capital base first. I need to, you know, get out there and transact first. And so I started out doing single family flips and realized very, very quickly that I'm working myself into a second job. You know, I still maintain my W-2. I'm a a father, excuse me, husband. And here it is after work, I'm going to these flip houses and I'm, I'm dealing with the contractors. I'm running to the store every weekend. And I was like, this was not what I thought this was going to be. And, yeah. you know, finally, a couple of years back, I had this epiphany moment and uh, with one of my kids and realized, you know, I'm, I'm in real estate to take control back of my time. I really want to be able to control that aspect of my life, but I can't you know, what, what I was doing. And that's, that was the, the big moment that led me into transitioning into multifamily and realizing that I need to scale and scale mm-hmm. much faster um, in order for me to be able to get to a scale where I can, again, you know, take that control back of my time. And so that's kind of how I got into multifamily yeah. real estate and uh, became active investor in 2019. It well, trying to learn how to become an active investor. And through that started passively investing, networking, following a lot of the industry leaders, and here we are today. We're co-GPs in 240 yeah. units and a deal here in Houston. Again, I'm a passive investor in an opportunity in Phoenix yep. and, you know, got a lot of other great things happening. So, yeah. So you became, I think what a lot of people call an accidental, accidental landlord. landlord, you know? Yeah. You know, there, there's there are a lot of stories start out like that. You know, I, I was the I did the deliberate landlord and uh, it was also a seminar and it was one of those things where, you know, we, we held a property for 10 years and never cash flowed, you know, but it was Southern California. And so it appreciated and it ended up being a nice little thing, but yeah. So accidental landlord, purple Bible, which I, I think is probably the most common book that comes up on, on this podcast is that rich dad, poor dad. And then you get into flipping and then use another Robert Kiyosaki term, Sounds like you were carrying buckets instead of merit making the pop pipeline, right? You realize that, you know, flipping houses is a full-time job by itself and uh, moved into apartments for, I think, the same reason a lot of people do. 
you know, the ability to scale, you know, the ability to step back from it. So anyway, that's, that's, that's awesome. So let's talk about one of those, uh, one of those units you've, you de- one of those deals that you guys have done and tell us about, you know, just wave top information, how you found it and, uh, you know, how you closed and, and how it's doing. Yeah. You know, what I'd like to do is highlight the most recent acquisition that we we're a part of, again, our co-GP opportunity. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is going to be important for those who may be just newer into the space looking to find a way in because it is a very, very competitive landscape right now. I mean, it was already competitive prior to COVID, but even more so now. I mean, the amount of liquidity out there is just insane. And so, it is getting increasingly harder for the newer investor to break into the space. So, you know, and we, we're part of that. We, we consider ourselves a part of that. You know, again, we've, we've been in the active site since 2019. We have been building broker relations, sourcing deals, underwriting, making offers, but we just weren't coming close on anything. And then COVID hits, everybody took a big pause. And then when things ramped back up again, all of a sudden you went from one of 10 to 12 offers to one of 30, you know? And so, you know, in, in the, in the midst of the two years that we have been active, we've also been building a pretty large investor database, building a lot of great relationships. And so what we, what we realize is, listen, we, we need to get our investor database engaged, right? We need to give them something to be excited about something that they could be proud to work with us on. And so in the midst of us looking for opportunities, we said, hey, why don't we go and work with some of the operators that are in our markets that we know that have track records, that have experience, that may be getting opportunities that we're not getting exposed to, right? And that's kind of yeah. what led us into this 240-unit deal. We had a relationship with the lead sponsor, Jorge Abreu with Elevate Commercial Investment Group, mm-hmm. known him for about, uh, at this time, almost two years. And moving with a tremendous amount of momentum at the time that we approached him earlier this year, he had, I don't know, 600 units under contract and he had a 1200 unit portfolio here in Houston, where we're based out of. And so we were working on a deal in January, a big deal that we needed help on. We invited him to come participate. Long story short, the deal didn't work out. But what it did allow us to do is open that door for future conversations. And so, you know, fast forward to, you know, March or so this year, we, George had this deal. And we said, look, our value add that we can bring to the table is we can raise capital. We can help bring capital. We're here in Houston. We can be involved in the asset management, boots mm-hmm. on the ground, whatever you need us to do. You know, we'd love to be a part of one of your opportunities if that's something. And so, and that's kind of how it led us to this opportunity. And so, uh, again, I tell people we're not the lead on it. Uh, George and his team are the lead, but but we are active co-GPs in the deal. We did commit some capital from our investor database, and we are involved in some of the asset management um, stuff. Yeah. And um, and I thought I think it's been a really really great experience because you get to learn firsthand from somebody who you know, has a rather large portfolio, 2,500 plus units. You kind of mm-hmm. see how the CapEx is timelines determined, how the CapEx budgets put together, where should you allocate certain CapEx dollars, right? Um, asset management, property management takeover, things like that. You know, so it's been a really, really great experience for us. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of keys there. I mean, we're talking about single family homes at the beginning, but there, there's a lot of a lot of parallels. I mean, I think a lot of people are familiar with the single family analogy. You go to an agent, you know, who's the equivalent of the broker, you go to an agent and the first thing they're going to ask you is your pre-approval letter. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. They, they ask you for a lender pre-approval letter. They're vetting you out there. They're seeing if you're a, a viable buyer or not. And it's the same thing in the multifamily space, except 
to be a viable buyer, and this is the conundrum, to be a viable buyer in multifamily, you have to own multifamily to most brokers. And so you did the smart thing. You teamed up with somebody who already has experience and you know you you're able to basically jump in feet first that that direction and i don't know in in a lot of ways i mean you you went through sounds like you went through a lot of the the same amount of work that a lot of other people try to do where you were analyzing deals you were doing everything else and you built the relationship and then later on will come on come in as co-gp so I love the story. And I think you're absolutely right. That is a, a great path. And that's something that a lot of people should pay attention to. So, yeah, you know, it, and, and you're right. There was, there's so much work involved, right? I mean, it, there's so many hats to wear. There's so many things to juggle and these relationships take so much time to build. And as you alluded to your credibility in this space is everything. Right. And so it takes time to build that. And so a great way to do that is again, aligning with successful people in, in your market and, and add value to them. Get involved. So let's let's do a quick uh, change of pace here. You know, one question I like to ask everybody is, you know, what is your big burning why? You know, what what motivates you? What what drives you in this business? Yeah, you know, we we alluded to this earlier, and and, and for me, it's it's my family, it's my children, it's my wife, mm-hmm. and it's my time. You realize at a certain point in your life that you're trading time for money, right? You go work for somebody else. They tell you when to be there, what time to be there, and what your time and skill set's worth. And if you're a father, you most of you will understand this. It's like you have these moments in time where you look at your kids and you just think, wow, you can remember mm-hmm. yesterday when you were holding them in their hand and all of a sudden you blink and now they're they're driving and they're going to work themselves and and you know they don't want to be around mom and dad anymore and for as a parent that's a gut punching moment because you're like that just it's like a blink of an eye yeah. and i feel like as we get older time seems to go by faster and faster i remember my parents telling me that like whatever and now i'm sitting here reflecting and it's such a true statement and so for me the burning why is really is controlling my time right how do i how do I be the driver of my own ship, so to speak? And so my kids and my family are the really big motivation on, on why I'm out here grinding every day to get there. Yeah. And I, I agree wholeheartedly in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I've got a 20, let's see what day is it? 21 year old daughter and she's 22 in a couple of weeks and a 19 year old daughter. And it, I mean, what you said is absolutely true. You, you're, you're holding them one day and, you know, next day they're, out of the house and and on their own, but well, good. Yeah, I think I think your your big burning why is something yeah, it resonates with a lot of people. Very similar to my own is I wanted to be able to spend time with my family when I want to spend time with them, and not march to the beat of a different drummer. And that's same thing you're looking for is is to be able to control that more. Well, that's that's great. So, quick question now, what's next for you guys? We're still looking to mm-hmm. add assets to our portfolio this year. You know, we've gotten pretty close these past couple of months. We've landed in three best and finals. And so we're still, you know, still submitting offers, still evaluating opportunities, still building relationships, which you should never stop doing in this business. Right. And so we're always networking, engaging with other um, industry leaders and professionals and, you know, just trying to find our way into other opportunities, whether it be our own or partnering with other people. Um, mm-hmm. That you know could use some value add as well. So for us, the end by the end of goal for the year, we're hoping to add another twenty million dollars of assets to our portfolio. Um, you know, fingers mm-hmm. crossed that will come true, and um, you know, just keep grinding right. away. Nice, nice. I love it. Now, are you only looking in Houston, or are you looking in other other metros? Yeah, as no, well? we're across Central Texas, East Tennessee, Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think. Okay. 
we love being in primary markets. Um, we love, even though it's extremely difficult to break in, I, I love that the fundamentals that come along with primary markets, but there are some great opportunities and some secondary markets around some of these uh, MSA. So we do believe in diversifying, um, especially we did isolate ourselves just to one or two markets in the beginning. But once we just became mm-hmm. so well ingrained in those markets and really built our footprint, we felt comfortable with diversifying and going outside and, and just mod- yeah. modeling the same thing. So, yeah, and there, there's pros and cons both directions. I mean, when you're when you're in Houston in the primary markets. You know, sometimes you are one of 30 offers on the table. Yeah, and, and there's a reason there's 30 offers in metro and in primary markets because they have the thump fundamentals. And you hit that, you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, you go off in the secondary markets and now instead of being one out of 30, you're one out of eight. You know, so you you may have a better chance of closing, but secondary markets, you know, may not have the same fundamentals. So it's it's uh your know, pros and cons both directions. You know, we we live in in the secondary market space. And that's that's where we built our our business so far. But anyway, um, that said, let's shift gears a little bit. We'll bring Esteban on the line here. So Esteban's been spending the last 15 years in the industrial automation and process control space. He and his wife started their real estate investment journey two years ago with an out-of-state turnkey single-family property. And the original plan was to build a single-family portfolio, but they shifted to multifamily right now, looking in the Idaho and Utah markets. Incidentally, you know, Esteban and I are somewhat neighbors now. Esteban's, uh, you're out of Pocatello, right? Do us a favor. Tell us, uh, tell us about yourself. Give us your background and history and, you know, let us know who you are. Yeah, well, I'm an Idaho native, uh, born, raised mm-hmm. here in, in southeast Idaho. Uh, grew up in a small town, about 4,000 population. Straight out of high school, uh, I went into college. I acquired a, my first associate's degree in computer support and mm-hmm. then decided to continue uh, my education and went into electronics. Mm-hmm. Got my second associate's in electrical mechanical technology, and that allowed me to pursue my career in my current W-2. Uh, I work for mm-hmm. a, a potato processing facility, uh, one, of the, one of the largest companies, uh, potato processing companies in, in the world right now. Mm-hmm. We have several uh, processing locations across uh, the Northwest, you know, in Washington, Oregon, Idaho. We have a couple places in China, uh, Holland, so, so all over the world. Uh, the wife and I were looking for uh, ways to supplement our income and possibly potentially replace it. And and we mm-hmm. found uh, real estate to be very, uh, very lucrative. Yeah, we started our real estate career um, in, uh, like you mentioned, the single family uh, turnkey space. We were going to continue that uh, that route, and we found uh, multifamily. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I really enjoy a podcast, and uh, uh, I'm obviously a fan of yours. Um, Thanks. We we came across the, uh, the Michael Blanc uh, podcast, mm-hmm. and he uh, specializes mm-hmm. in um, uh, apartment syndications, and that that really spoke uh, spoke to me. It, it really made sense, and 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 uh, we decided then to uh, uh, pursue the multifamily space. We ended up signing up for his mentoring uh, program. We we we're working with a great mentor right now. It's it's a great program. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are right now without without that program. So, yeah, yeah, 
you know, and and I, I did the same program, obviously, which has uh, helped me tremendously. I think everybody who who's been anywhere in the business has done it by partnering with somebody experienced. You know, Cody did it one way, where where he came in as you know a co GP to partner with somebody. You know, we leaned on mentors. You know, the, the Four Oaks Capital guys. I mean, the four of us when we had our first property under contract. We didn't have any GP experience when we did, but we were leaning on mentors the whole time, you know, and that's, that was the experience we brought to the table. You know, so when we were talking to the brokers, we were leaning on our mentors experience as well. Hey, you know, we got this group and, um, you know, together we have X amount of apartments, like, like most people do, we you know, we ended up partnering with one of our mentors, you know, just to be able to get the loan, be able to get the closing across the finish line. And that's, it's a key and it's it's something that I think is extremely valuable. You know, it doesn't matter which way you find it. doesn't matter if you pay to play for a mentor, you, you hustle and bring value. It's something that I think is is a key ingredient to, to anybody's success. So wish you the best of luck and uh, probably seeing you in a couple of weeks. Are you going to his uh, his big conference in, in Dallas in, in two weeks? We're planning on it. Okay, good. Have to fly, you know, 1500 miles to see you, even though you're, uh, you know, probably about 50 miles down the road, but, uh, you know, eventually I'll get down there. So let's, let's, uh, let's talk about your big burning why right now. I mean, we talked a little bit, I mean, you, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, what you were doing a little bit, but let's, let's boil down your big burning why. What is your big burning why? Yeah, just like so many others and, and Cody nailed it right on the head. It's, it's that time freedom, time control, you know, the older you get, the more valuable time becomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we all know time is a very finite resource, and uh, uh, the goal is to have a little more control of that. Yeah, nice, nice. Control your time. Be with who you want to be and where you want to be when you want to when you want to do it. So, all right. Well, here comes my favorite part of the show, Esteban. We got Cody on the line. What do you want to ask him? Yeah, my questions uh, revolve around uh, my favorite part of the syndication process, and that is uh, the deal analysis. My first question is, uh, Cody, when you first come across a, a deal, uh, what key indicators do you typically gravitate towards to um, to help determine whether it's a property worth pursuing? So I have a three-step process, market criteria, uh, investment criteria, and then resources. Number one, you know, you want to have an established market that you become an expert in. Right. You want to know a market like the back of your hand. And this is going back to the conversation we we're having a minute ago, Brian, where if you start out in too many markets, you never become an expert of one. You know, it's going to take you a lot longer to really establish a footprint and understanding of that market. And if you make, you know, if you make a wrong judgment call in a particular market, it could be very costly for you. So, you know, my, my first thing is looking at a particular market to see it. Is this a market that I even want to be in? You know, is it a primary market, secondary market, tertiary market, location, um, you know, fundamentals of the market? You know, everything from population to jobs to, uh, you know, migratory patterns, crime, all of those things you really want to have a good fundamental understanding for. So once I go through the market analysis and determine, is this a market that I I like and and right now where we're at we we have our very defined markets and anything outside of that it just goes to the junk inbox we don't even waste our time with it okay um, then the next thing is the investment criteria and I spend some time looking at you know what type of opportunity is this I look at the size of the deal the vintage is it a value add is it a core play uh, again location in the market that it's in and 
whatnot and to see if that's a fit for us in our strategy. Right now, we do like you know, more of the stabilized assets that have a light value add component versus a deeper value add or, or reposition. You know, that's just not our appetite right now. We don't want to be dealing with 1950s and 1960s buildings. You know, we want to be in the 1980 space and, and above. You know, we want to stay for us. We're looking at 100 to 200 units. And, you know, so if it's a 400 unit deal, I'm not going to waste my time. It's a 40 unit deal. I won't say that we won't look at it, but it doesn't go up on the priority list. So we tr- we definitely triage those deals through the investment criteria through that analysis, right? And, and we'll go through more details, but high level. And then the last thing that we want to look at is resources, right? And, and this comes down to your own personal network and resources, right? And these, these are multi-million dollar transactions. And if you don't have a database or network, if you don't have the liquidity, network or experience to put these deals together, then you really have to evaluate kind of your approach. Do you do you reduce your search to fit whatever resources you have, or do you go build out your network and and build the teams that you need to, to take on bigger deals? And so, uh, but it's very, very important you know what that is, what that threshold is. You know, if if you're not in a position to take down a $20 million deal, Again, your credibility is everything. So you don't want to be out there wasting brokers' time and trying to analyze deals. And then you get to a point where they realize that you're not a closer, right? So really looking at your own resources and figuring out what you have and what's your capacity. And and the beautiful thing about that is is if you do want to go bigger, go build your network around it. You know, go find the people around you that can help you do it. Uh, But you really want to have that defined as far as what is your capacity to close. So. So that's kind of the the high level funnel that we go through in looking at a deal. So, you know, we have deals that hit our inbox all the time, like everybody else. And, you know, I would argue that probably half of them end up in the junk folder, um, you know, just going through that very simple analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love the triage you guys do. I mean, markets are huge. Um, I, I think if you buy in the right market in, in the right time, it's it's. Um, I'm going to tread lightly on this one. It's almost hard to screw it up, you know, is, is kind of how I say, it. you know, if, if the market's going the right direction, it's almost hard to screw up. So if you pick the, pick the markets right, you know, you've got 50% of the deal already. And so, so Cody, I, I appreciate you saying that that's, that's half the battle. You, you pick the markets that you like based on the market fundamentals, but good, solid, good, solid three-step process there. I like it. Yeah. So my next question is, uh, revolves around around your team we always hear in, in real estate investing it's always a team sport what what team members do you uh typically reach out to um first off to help gather the information you need to, to properly analyze your deal yeah so as far as my internal team i have two great partners i've got my partner brian alfaro john Beatty at blue oak and you know collectively you know, again, we distribute the responsibilities amongst us, right? And so that's a very, very big help because while I may be focused on one aspect of the business, I know that John and Brian are tackling other aspects of the business. So things are always being uh, worked on, improved on and whatnot. So I think when you talk about building your team, build those partners who you really want to build a long-term existing relationship and work with um, over time. It's, it's, It's an absolute must in this space, I feel like. But then when it comes to the actual team around itself, I would definitely encourage people to build relationships with industry professionals in the particular markets you're focused in, right? Whether that be lenders, property managers, title companies. I mean, there's a laundry list of team members you need, but 
I think in the immediate, especially when it comes to deal analysis, I would really put an emphasis on building relationships with a good property management team that has experience in your target markets that are focused on the same type of opportunities that you're looking at and that have a good reputation in the market. You know, and one easy exercise to do is when you're in a market, ask for referrals. Hey, who do you recommend for property management? And when you start hearing the same few names pop up, uh, then you know that you know this is somebody that's reputable and well respected. And by the way, you want somebody that has that reputation because you're going to need it for the lender side. They're going to be looking at those things as well, right? So the first two big relationships that I would put focus on is your property managers and your uh, your capital advisors, your capital markets teams, so your lenders and such. Because you know, in in when you do find an opportunity and you do go the exercise of evaluating your deals, and then you work with your property management team that. Property management, they're great. They're your, they're your local experts in those markets, right? And so they can tell you a lot about that particular asset or that particular market. And if they've been present in the, in the market for some time, you may even discover that they've had their hand in the management of those assets you know, before. And we, we've had some of those experiences as well. So, But uh, once you get through that, you know, when you go to work with your capital markets team, you're, you know, your lenders are going to be able to tell you like, hey, you know, is this qualified for agency debt? Are you going to have to go bridge? Is it too big and you have to go, uh, you know, small balance? Um, and they can give you insights into current uh, terms, especially right now. You know, the markets are insanely uh, cheap, but, uh, you know, there's still a lot of debate on where treasuries go, which dictate rates and things like that. And so they can give you that up to date information on, uh, on what's happening in the capital markets, which you need to be able to underwrite to. Because the last thing that you want to do is make an incorrect assumption on how you're going to qualify your debt for this particular deal. So again, you should always build relationships with the team. But if I had to tell you, hey, who do you start with? Property managers and lenders, I would definitely lean very, very heavy to. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I'll, I'll refer you back to Cody's answer to your previous question. You know, you look at your your resources as well. And if you don't have the, the net worth or liquidity to be able to tackle these because that's that's what lenders are looking for you know then then you're also looking for for the right people to partner with as well so you know a lot lot of a lot of good things in there and you know i i think cody hit the nail on the head as well i mean your property manager is going to be you know the absolute key to uh to your success if you have if you had to put it on one person or one company it's the property manager and you know you it's, it's super hard to underwrite super hard to analyze a deal without that current, uh, you know, uh, um, the somebody who can tell you, advise you on debt, the capital advisor as well. Yeah. I have to remember too, these are professionals that have access to data that you probably don't have access to. Right. And then they have resources at their disposal that they can allow you to use for your own analysis, which is going to be a very, very important. And, you know, listen, some of the subscriptions to some of these, these data, uh, uh, that's available. It's very, very costly. It's very, very expensive. You know, um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to some degree. And so, um, lean in very heavily on those relationships because you can get a lot of great access to some of the data that they have to make you uh, to help you improve your analysis in a particular market or asset types or such like that. So, and I'll, I'll throw one thing in there, and you know, a little little plug on Cody. Listen to his podcast last night. He had a guest on that brought up the fact he was a capital advisor. He brought up the fact that. You know, he calls, you know, 40 to 60 different lenders on a monthly basis, which saves you from having to call 40 to 60 yourself. You call one person who, who's able to, to link you up with the right 
lender for what you're trying to do. I'm honored, Brian, that you listened to my show, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I drive a lot. So when I drive, you know, I, I got a podcast or I got an audio book up. So um, just happened to be the, the Cody Lawson and Brian Alfaro show yesterday. But all right, Seven, what else have you got, man? Yeah, so <clears throat> thank you for that. Those great answers. Uh, what what advice would you give to newbies um, in regard to you keeping emotions in check uh, when analyzing a deal? You know, especially for someone like me who's been working real hard trying to find the first deal um, so that they don't end up fudging numbers and, and possibly just getting yourself in trouble. I love that question. That's a fantastic question, by the way. So I have a few answers to that. And then what we'll do is we'll go back and tackle each one. So number one, education. Two, repetition. Number three, I would tell you, analyzing larger deals for practice. Okay. And, and so let's go back and tackle each one. The more that you continue to educate yourself, the better and more confident you're going to feel about your underwriting practices or analysis, right? I mean, the more that we become educated, um, obviously it's going to give us it's going to open our horizon. It's going to give us more of those that confidence to go out there and, and make great sound decisions or judgments, right? And the next thing I would tell you is repetition. And this is key. So, you know, in learning a market in particular or learning how deals are operated, the more that you do, the more that you learn, right? And if you're like me, I'm somebody I love to get out there and put myself out there and knowing I'm going to make a few mistakes, but you learn through mistakes, right? And so the more that you can analyze deals, the more that you can underwrite deals, you know, the, it's going to make you a better analyzer because you're going to be able to see trends. You're going to be able to see how different operators are doing things. You're going to be able to see different things that are particular to a particular mm -hmm. market that you can identify. And so, so I think repetition is going to be important. And I mean, shoot, we've analyzed hundreds and hundreds of deals right yeah. now. And, and that's what it takes, you know, just putting in that constant, constant work. It's kind of like working out, right? You don't just go to the gym once a month and think that, you know, you're going to be fit. It takes, it takes daily commitment. And so the same would go, would be true for analyzing. And the last one, this is something that I've been recommending to a lot of people is I would recommend starting out, if not solely, at least part of your analyzing practices and analyzing bigger deals that are professionally owned and operated. And, and here's why I say that, because if you're just starting out and you, let's say you're looking at a mom and pop deal, those financials are going to look terrible. A lot mm -hmm. of time they're going to be behind the napkin. A lot of time that you're going to get just a, 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 a PDF form that has just a few little line items here and there. And it can be quite frustrating, especially if you don't know what you're looking at. Right. So when you when you get experience looking at larger deals that are professionally managed, that have good, clean profit and loss statements, you can really understand how to read those profit and loss statements and, and articulate the story. Right. These profit and losses, they tell you the story of the deal. And so you can really dig in and see how these businesses are being operated because these are small businesses. And then you can take that understanding and then go apply it to, you know, the, the mom and pop owner. Mm -hmm. You can see you know, what's missing or what, what information you need to put that story together to, to analyze that. So I find that to be a very good practice and, you know, start out by looking at hundred, 200 unit deals that are on the, you know, the CBREs, Marcus Miller chaps, you can download those financials all day long from their websites and just get familiar with reading those profit and loss statements. I think that's a, it'll, it'll really, really help you in understanding the financial part of that. 
Yeah, that's solid. The, the one thing that uh, that I, I would emphasize is, is just knowing your criteria. The way to stay unemotional when you're analyzing is to pick pick your criteria before you start analyzing. You know, and if you pick your criteria, then you compare it against your criteria, and it's just it's a it's a yes or no at that point. Does this meet my predetermined criteria? Yes or no. Uh, if if you don't have that predetermined criteria. You know, every single one comes in. It's like, man, I really want this, and I think you're a little more in danger of of uh, making the emotional decision that could be could be a lesson learned or could be a seminar. So, can I piggyback off right. that real quick, Brian? And just absolutely, you know, Esteban, listen, this is this is an industry that you have to have patience with, and you have to have discipline with, because, like Brian just alluded to, you know, if you don't know who you are as an investor, if you don't know what your investing criteria is and your investing thesis is, you can go down a lot of different rabbit holes and you can spread yourself so thin to where you never really gain any momentum. So I think to Brian's point, identify what that criteria is and just be disciplined enough to stick with it, no matter how long it takes you. Okay. Because people will end up pivoting or deviating from their criteria uh, right when they're on the cusp of something, a a breakthrough or, or an opportunity. So you know, just be willing to put your head down and know that there's always going to be deals coming. There's always going to be opportunities out there. So don't get frustrated when, you know, you analyze 10 and none of them work out. That's okay. Just keep on going. Yeah, just, just get better. Sharpen your pencil every single time, you know, and, you know, first time I've heard the, the analyze the bigger deals and there, there's a lot of wisdom in that because the smaller the property is and, and, Usually the smaller properties, you, you don't get the big property management companies that are com- going to come in and run it super efficiently. And there's either a lot of expenses that don't hit the profit and loss statement, or there's a lot of expenses that you know aren't in line with what a you know a better management company would would do. So, you know, if, if you're looking at the bigger properties, you might see a couple line items that you're not going to see on the smaller ones. And when you when you do, you got to start scratching your head and thinking. Okay, is this something that's just not a profit and loss statement? I mean, maybe there's a marketing budget on the larger ones, and there's not on the smaller ones. Hey, guess what? They're probably marketing. Where is that money? You know, is that on the statement or is it not on the statement? And you know, sometimes these these smaller property management companies, you know, aren't as good at getting things on the statement. You know, that, that's something we found from a lot of experience where it would get charged stuff and it doesn't hit the statement. So anyway. My two cents on that one. A little frustration on my part too, but uh, yeah, there you go. I'm not saying it was specifically marketing expense that didn't hit our, you know, um, line items, but that's, you know, that's beside the point. Yeah. Well, right. when you're starting out, when you're looking at opportunities, you don't know what you don't know, right? And I think if you if you're looking at some of those opportunities that don't have all the right pieces or don't have all the right information, it can leave you a number one very frustrated but it could leave you missing out some pieces that you need for your own analysis to determine, is this going to be a good sound uh, opportunity for you? And so I think that's why, you know, having that just general business understanding of how these things work will, will be a benefit to you. Yeah. All right. Well, we are about out of time. So I got one question to you know clean up everything for each of you. And Cody, you get to go first. Question is, how can listeners learn more about you? 
Well, Brian, I want to thank you again so much for being on. This has been awesome. Esteban, yep. great to connect, man. I keep crushing it. Just keep putting the work. It's awesome. So if you want to get connected with me, you can check me out on LinkedIn. I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And or you can reach out to me via email, Cody at BlueOakInvest.com. Um, if you love podcasting and uh, whatnot, you can check out our podcast, the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. We've had our our good friend, Mr. Brian Briscoe on here recently. Yep. That episode will be popping out pretty soon. Um, mm-hmm. So check us out there. And if you're in the Houston area and love to do some live networking, you can check us out at the South Texas Multifamily and More uh, Facebook group where we have our live and virtual meetup events that happen at the first, uh, second and last Thursday of every month. So, all right. Live meetups. Wow. What are those? You know? <laughs> um, yeah. Amazing. So, uh, we'll put all that, uh, links to all those in the sh- show notes, email address, website, Facebook group, and, uh, LinkedIn profile. So if you guys are interested and I, I definitely encourage you to check it out, uh, podcast too. That's something else you mentioned, but just uh, hit the show notes you know, tap and this magical thing called the internet will whisk you away. So Stevan, your turn. How can, how can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, that'd be a great way to get a hold of me or a good old fashioned email. Email, email me at esteban.cardenas at carcorpcapital.com. All right. And we'll also have links to those in the show notes as well. Thank you so, so much to the two of you for coming on the show today. I very much appreciate your time and Um, This is going to be an amazing little episode. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.